Well, as you know, we got derailed by a Matthew last week. Not the gospel, the hurricane that came through here. And one of the things, I've gotten word that there were, I hope I have these numbers right, about 20 people out here yesterday in the yard picking up. And so to Chuck Tovey and Larry Budd, and I guess Larry's team, Bill Kelly had a team out here, and then Shane and the youth and some of their parents. We want to say a big thank you. How encouraging it is to see the church come together like that and work together. So we're grateful to all of you and want to say, you know, this is a lot of yard to take care of in terms of 13 acres. So we're grateful for all of your hard work. And then God had another, I'm not sure, providential, whatever you want to call it in mind. I did not plan on this. When we were going, when I was kind of looking at the series of studies on Mark and how I draw out uh, this, I didn't realize when I first started doing this, I was going to preach on the passage on the fishers of men last week. Now, I love that it worked out the week before the missions conference, because this is kind of a missions-type sermon. So it's, so it's my commercial. I'm going to challenge you this morning on being fishers of men. You come next Friday night and Saturday, and you hear from those church planters on actually how to do it. They're out in neighborhoods, they're out in communities here in Florida, and they're loving their neighborhood, and they're reaching out into their community, and they're gathering people. And you know, that's what we are. We are a missional community. The church as a whole is a missional community, and we're going to see that as we, so here's your plug to open the Bible. I like how Al gave us, you hear with your ears, you see with your eyes, you get we involve all of us, so... I'm going to invite you, you can either look in your bulletin, you can look on the wall, you can do it the old-fashioned way and open your Bible. You can do all three if you want. How's that sound? But Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. And as we dive into God's Word, let me pray and ask the Spirit of God to illumine our hearts and our minds, give us understanding as well as application of His Word. We depend upon you, Father, to give us your Spirit, that your Spirit would be our teacher this morning that he would open our minds and hearts, that we would respond, that we would hear, that we'd be challenged. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word does not return void, but accomplishes what you've set out for it to accomplish. And so it's with that confidence that we go and we listen and we hear and we respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 14, says, Now after John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. We've been saying that Mark is giving us an account, a narrative of the life, the ministry, and the mission of Jesus in order that we may be challenged and confronted with the real Jesus Not a Jesus of our own making, not a Jesus we make up, but the real Jesus. Who he is, what he's all about, that is Mark's concern. He gave his purpose in the first verse when he said, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
What Mark is doing is saying, here's the gospel. You want to know what it is? Here it is. We saw last that Jesus, after his baptism and temptation in the wilderness, began his public ministry. And his very first words were, the time is fulfilled. In other words, what we've been looking forward to, what we've been anticipating, what we've been hoping for. See, there's a backstory of this, and I'm going to share some of that backstory. And he's saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And now begins his public ministry, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. And what is he doing? He is forming around himself a circle of friends. He is forming around himself a new covenant family, a new kingdom community. He's calling together this family, building a core of friends and workers. And he's challenging them. We see that he wants to teach them two things. And two things we get from this particular account. We learn about this new kingdom community, this covenant family. First of all, their identity. And their identity is that of followers. Follow me. Not just learn about me. Not just acknowledge me. Actually walk in my ways. Follow me. That's their identity. Then they're given a purpose or a commission. And I will make you become. And I love that it says that because it doesn't happen all at once. It's a process. It's developmental. It's a journey. But it's attached with a promise. I will make you become fishers of men. So church, if you're part of Jesus's band, you're part of his covenant family, his kingdom community, you have an identity, you're a follower of Jesus, and you have a commission. You are a fisher of men. Let's learn what each of those have to mean. First, let's put this in context. Verses 14 and 15. They record Jesus's first words in the Gospel of Mark. When Jesus begins his public ministry, he proclaims the Gospel of God and says, the time is at hand, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. Jesus's first word is about the Gospel of the kingdom. And he begins with the word repent. Repent means reverse course. You were going left, go right. You were going east, go west. Change your direction. It means specifically turn away from what Jesus hates and turn towards what Jesus loves. In the context, since he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, it means turn away from the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of the world and turn towards Jesus' rule, Jesus' reign, Jesus' kingdom. Repent and believe in the gospel. And the gospel is the Greek word euangelion which is a compound word formed from the words angelos, which means to announce news, and the prefix you, which means joyful. So in other words, the gospel means joyful news. It's news that brings joy. And joy here is not simply emotional happiness, tranquility. That's not joy. Joy is fullness of life. And so what the word gospel means, it's news that brings life. Rather than the kingdom of darkness that brings death, Jesus is proclaiming the gospel of God, good news that brings life. And this word would have had tremendous currency, would have been very familiar in Mark's day, very familiar to Mark's readers. Because the word gospel was not just open your daily newspaper and here's your daily headlines, But rather, gospel or good news is news that's 
life-altering, history-making, life-shaping news. Tim Keller gives the following example. He says, an example would be of a Roman inscription, which started with the words, the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. And Caesar Augustus was one of the emperors. Thus, this gospel would be the news, the story of the birth and coronation of the Roman emperor. A gospel was news of some event that changed things in a meaningful way, like, for example, a military victory or the ascension to a throne of an emperor. So Dr. Keller says the gospel is an announcement of something that has happened in history, something that's been done for you that changes your status forever. That's very important. It's not just ordinary news. It's news that changes everything, which is why Jesus says repent, because the response is change direction. This is not news that you can look at, read as information, and say, wow, wasn't that interesting? Huh, I'll put this in my notebook and fact check it. It's news that challenges you. It's news, if you would, that gets in your face. It's news that confronts you to reverse course. And you know what Jesus is doing here? Remember I said it's news that has a backstory. It's news that comes in a context. And the backstory here is the Old Testament, specifically the book of Genesis. When Jesus says the time is fulfilled, he's referring back to their history. Everything that's been moving forward. And so, for example, going back, you know, to know the backstory, it goes all the way back to Genesis, chapters 1 and 2, where you have the creation of the whole world to be God's temple. God, the whole cosmos, the whole world was to be God's home, his kingdom, his temple, the meeting place of heaven and earth. And he made the earth to be managed, to be run, to be taken care of by his representative, his image bearer, initially Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve were commissioned and given authority to take care of God's world. And everything in the beginning was right. There was harmony and order in every sphere, relationships with God, relationship with ourselves, relationship with others, relationships with the natural world. All relationships were whole. But then in chapter 3, the whole thing fell apart. In chapter 3, the story fell apart. Man wanted to be his own king. Man wanted to be his own center. As Tim Keller says, when we decide to be our own center, our own king, everything disintegrates. Everything falls apart. Physically, Socially, spiritually, culturally, psychologically, and our only hope is a true king who will come back to put everything right and renew the entire world. Now Mark is telling us that Jesus is that true king and that he is here. That's the backstory, that's the meaning behind the words, the time is fulfilled, it's being launched It's being inaugurated. And God's covenant promise was always that this hope, this reversal, if you would, of the story that was kind of wrecked by Adam would be solved through God's representative. In the Old Testament, that was Israel. But, of course, part of the backstory was that in the Old Testament, Israel was infected with the same disease that Adam had. 
Israel had the same problem of sin and idolatry and self-centeredness that Adam had. But God never wavered on his mission. God was still committed to his plans. That's what Zechariah 8, do you hear the words that Al read for us? God is a jealous God. Another way to word that is God is passionate and relentless and doesn't give up on his plan. And so he's still committed to fulfilling his mission, his mission of reconciling, of saving the world through Israel. So what did he need? He needed a new, reconstituted, not replacement, but reconstituted, reimagined, reformed Israel. And that new Israel is Jesus and the people that Jesus is calling, is forming, is bringing unto himself. In this case, it's Simon and Andrew and James and John, the beginning of a new family, a new community, a new kingdom community. That new Israel is all that are called effectually by God and respond to him. Because listen to the authority of the call. Verse 16, when it says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And notice Mark's use of the word here again, immediately. They didn't go home and consider it. They didn't weigh the cost-benefit risk. They didn't list out the pros and cons on a yell. Jesus called, they responded. Jesus called, they obeyed. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats, mending their nets, and immediately he called them, and they left their father and followed him. Look first at the authority of his call. Tim Keller rightly says, he says, you can't have a relationship unless he calls you. The initiative is all on Jesus. He calls, and they immediately respond. See, this isn't how we call. See, I've given this illustration before. When I was a kid growing up, I always was outside, always playing sports. And my mom would call us in for dinner. And here's how the the call of my mother went. Jeff, come on in for dinner. Here's how the response of Jeff went. I kept playing ball. I kind of ignored the call. I didn't just out disobey. I ignored the call. Jeff, come on in. Kind of kept doing my own thing. Then dad would get involved. Now, come in. Okay, then we would move. Jesus' call is not like that. Jesus' call is not wishful thinking. When Jesus calls, he brings reality into existence. He calls and reality. So if he calls, it's an effectual, irresistible call. Which is why Dr. Keller is right. You can't have a relationship unless he takes the initiative and calls. Now look at something else about the nature of this call. Commentators and scholars point out that in traditional culture, like the Jewish culture of Mark's day, what Jesus did here was absolutely radical. It was drastic. It was disruptive. See, today, it's not quite the same big deal. See, we live in a very individualistic culture where it would not be such a big deal to say goodbye to your parents, I'm following my dreams. I remember when I graduated college in 1984, and I felt my first call to ministry, and I responded to the call, Young Life, to go on staff with Young Life and move from Philadelphia to Virginia Beach, Virginia. 
My parents were fine with the aspect of me moving away. They weren't so fine with the financial relationship of $5,000 of raised support. They didn't think that was such a good deal. But there was no problem in an individualistic culture of somebody following their dreams and moving on. But that's not the culture of Jesus' day. That's not the culture in which Mark was writing. See, in, in the culture of Mark's day, you had your identity. Your very identity was formed from the family, from the village, from the clan. You were expected to stay and work the family business. This whole idea of you go out and do your own thing was foreign. So what is Jesus saying here? He is saying, again, in the words of commentators, I have priority over your life. I have priority over your family. Knowing me, loving me, resembling me, serving me must become the supreme passion of your life. Everything else comes second. You now have a new family and a new priority. It's very similar to Jesus' words in the Gospel of Luke when he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and his wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Have you ever read those words in the gospel and said, what's up, Jesus? Those are, that's a little fanatical, isn't it? Where do you get off saying, hate my own father and mother? Hate my brothers and sisters and wife and children? Now, recognize Jesus isn't commanding us to literally hate our families. What he is doing, though, is hate comparatively. Again, Dr. Keller says, I want you to follow me so fully so intensely, so enduringly, that all other attachments in your life look like hate by comparison. Doesn't this look a little different than the contemporary church today, where we live by our compartments? Yes, we have our church life and our spiritual life, but we have our family life and we have our work life. And we have, Jesus says, the priority of the call is follow me. Don't compartmentalize. Follow me, is what he says. That's the identity of Jesus' people as followers. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, that's the call. The call is not make Jesus part of your life as co-pilot. Have him come on board and, you know, he can help get you to heaven when you die. And No. His call is follow me. And his commission and the purpose that he gives us is I will make you become fishers of men. So if your identity is as a follower, your purpose or commission is you're a fisherman. Now, I don't know much about fishing. Jesus didn't say, I would have loved for him to say, follow me and I will make you a golfer with men. I would have gotten that. But the little bit I know about fishing, and I think I've only fished once or twice in my life, You've got to do certain things. You have to have the right bait. You have to understand what your so fishermen tell me. You have to understand who you're fishing for. In the same way, we have to understand who it is we're seeking to reach. We have to understand the people, our neighbors, the culture that we're trying to reach out to. Commentators make the point, too. That's very interesting. They say the way Mark narrates this particular account sends echoes ringing back through Scripture, again to Genesis, this time to the story of Abraham, 
Remember the story of Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12? What did God say to Abraham? He said, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you, in other words, you will become a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Word to Abraham, word to the disciples, word to us. Leave everything. Follow me. Go where I will show you, just like the story of Abraham. I will make you fishers of men. Through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's mission is the salvation of his elect, the salvation of his people. And it's through the ministry, through the evangelism, through the witness of the local church. Remember that it's not the church that has a mission. The Bible records for us the mission of God. The Bible is the revelation of the mission of God to bring salvation to all his people. And he has a church for his mission. I mean, God could do it just created the world. Let there be light. He could do it. Let my elect come in. Could have done it that way. That's not how he chose to do it. He's forming a new family, his circle of friends. He's beginning his community, and he says, I will make you become fishers of men. Now, what does that imagery suggest? You know, that's very important imagery there, fishers of men. What exactly does fishers of men mean? Scholars point out that in the Hebrew symbolism and in the symbolism of the Old Testament, the sea, or water, is a place of chaos, even death of darkness, of disharmony, of alienation, of coldness. What it represents is the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of darkness. So fishers of men means being used by God to fish men out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now how do we do that? First of all, we do that through our lives, displaying by how we relate, by how we live, by how we love the love and glory of God. Tim Keller writes, Have you ever come into the sphere of influence of somebody who internally is so happy, so well-adjusted, so emotionally full, that they're not thinking about themselves at all, they're thinking about you? He writes, Have you ever come into the sphere of influence of somebody who, instead of using you for their own purposes or exploiting you, just serves you? just puts his or her resources practically, spiritually, emotionally at your service. Someone who displays Christ by how they serve, by how they relate, by their style of relating. Now notice something about the text. I mentioned this early. That's a huge challenge, isn't it? Display Christ by how we relate. How are we doing at that? Notice the text is a promise of God here, where it says, become fishers of men. Does not happen automatically. It's a journey. It's a process. The question is, are you on the narrow road? Do you recognize this is our commission as a church? That our commission is that God is making us fishers of men, meaning we don't exist for ourselves. 
We don't exist to make ourselves happy to please ourselves. So how do we go about doing this? Let me just give one practical illustration. There's a missiologist. His name's Alan Hirsch. He has a little pamphlet, a little thing called The Five Habits of Missional People. And it goes like this. He does it by an acronym. The acronym is BELLS, B-E-L-L-S. And each letter stands for something. It's a practical way to be missional in your life, to relate to your coworkers and your family, those that are in your sphere of influence. He says, the B stands for seek to bless others. Is that your basic posture towards other people? That you're seeking to bless them. You're seeking to do what they need most. Not looking to them for your approval or your validation, but you're seeking to bless them. Alan Hirsch gives the second, the E, he says, is eat together. Learn to develop friendships. As we go through the gospel, we will notice how many times Jesus was sitting down to eat with people. As a matter of fact, he was making Pharisees mad because he was eating with tax collectors and sinners. Everybody he's hanging out with, he's eating with them. Why? Because eating is a sign of friendship and fellowship. Jesus was always trying to build bridges. We need to spend a lot more time, and I'm not just saying this because I like to eat, but it's an evangelistic thing. We need to eat together with our neighbors. We need to eat together with our coworkers. We need to bless them and eat together. And then the first L means we need to listen to the Spirit. That's listen to the Spirit through His Word, but do you recognize His Word says, make the most of every opportunity and be wise towards outsiders. That we are to listen to the Spirit for opportunities to speak, for opportunities to engage, for opportunities to come out of our comfort zone and develop relationships. Which leads to the second L, which is learn. Learn Christ. How did Christ relate? How did Christ confront? How did Christ, when was Christ gentle and when did he confront? When did he move towards people? When did he overturn tables? Are we seeking to learn Christ? And then the S stands for sent. Understand and see yourself. Primarily, that's why I said this is the purpose. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Understand yourself as being sent by God into other people's lives. You, as one who has Christ living in them by the Holy Spirit, is not in somebody else's life by accident. You're in somebody else's life because God has sent you into that person's life. The question is, do you see yourself that way? Do you understand yourself that way? And do we see ourselves as a church the way Jesus spoke to his disciples in John chapter 20 when Jesus was resurrected and he was meeting with his disciples and he said, peace be with you. And then he leaves them with the commission, another way of wording fishers of men. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I wonder how we see ourselves as a church. Do we see ourselves as sent to Port Orange and Daytona Beach and New Smyrna Beach and Volusia County? Do we see ourselves as existing for the sake of the world? I think nobody put this challenge quite like my former professor, a man who was a missionary to South Korea before he became a professor at Westminster Seminary. His name was Harvey Kahn. And Harvey Kahn, in his book on evangelism, wrote, for too long, evangelical white Christian communities in the United States have had a 
come structure, a parochialism that identifies with the saints. He writes, one cannot be a missionary church and continue insisting that the world must come to the church on the church's terms. He writes, the church must become a go structure. And it can do that only when its concerns are directed outside itself toward the poor, the abused, and the oppressed. The church must recapture its identity as the only organization in the world that exists for the sake of its non-members. Do you know how radical that is and how that would change? It changes how we make decisions. It changes why we exist. It changes what we're here for. How do we see ourselves? Do we see ourselves fundamentally as God's new kingdom community that as God is implementing and building his kingdom, he's doing it through us? That God's purpose, his mission, his plan is to build his kingdom through his children of Abraham, his sons and heirs of Abraham, the offspring of Abraham that he says, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And where do we get the power to do this? How do we do this? We need to recognize this is exactly who Jesus was, that Jesus was the ultimate fisher of men. That Jesus did not have a come structure where he says, oh, you all come up to me on my terms. What did Jesus do? He had the ultimate go structure. What does the gospel say? The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He left his Father's throne above, and he came to where he was empty, he was mocked, he was scorned, he was ridiculed, and that path, that go structure, led him all the way to the cross. He followed that purpose, that path, all the way to the cross where he took upon himself all the evil, all the injustice, all the sin, all the powers of the kingdom of darkness he took upon himself in order that he would fish us out of the kingdom of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of his son. He is the ultimate fisher of men, and he's calling us, not by ourselves. He's not heaping this pressure on one. And he's calling us as a body, as his new kingdom community, in the part of the world, the little slice of his vineyard where we live. He's calling us and promising us. He promises to fulfill what he commands. He says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. I think the question is, do we want to follow Jesus? Or are we about our own agenda? Father, thank you for this vision that you've given to us the identity as a new kingdom community, and the commission or purpose you've given to us as your new kingdom community. And Father, I pray now that we would see ourselves in this light and that we would understand ourselves that as a community we are to bear witness to the neighborhoods and the community around us. We're to display your love. We're to display your truth. We're to display your justice, display your righteousness, and be fishers of men. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.